up in the sky. Look, it's a bird. No, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. The infant of Krypton is now the man of steel, Superman, in a never-ending battle for truth and justice, all-powerful, could do anything. Except there was this one little thing that could render Superman powerless. Do you remember what it was? Lois Lane, a woman from work. <laughs> and of course, kryptonite, yeah. Now, without a doubt, the most famous element on the periodic table and the most famous element that might not be on the periodic table. Kryptonite. It had the power to render Superman powerless. But he was still a hero, and he remains an ever-popular action figure. We're in the third and the final week of our series, Action Figures, where we have been discovering, diving in to discover, what it takes to be a hero. In week one, we said that a hero sees what everyone else sees, but is not content to do what everyone else does, does, right? Week two, a.k.a. last week, we saw that a hero saves the day. And if Wonder Woman or Superman was the picture of a hero for you, then it was nailed down as too lofty, unachievable, and an unreachable goal. But we looked at Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus made hero status accessible for us all. So if a hero sees what everyone else sees but take, and takes action and saves the day, what is it that is keeping you, what is it that's keeping me from being the hero that we are called to be? What is the kryptonite that has the power to render us powerless? For the most part, I had always enjoyed school. I had friends, we played, I got along fairly well with everyone. And I'll admit, I spent a couple of times in the thinking chair, but not nearly as many as Barry Hall or Robbie Howard. They were the real mischief makers. I learned, and I did pretty well in my academics. Grade six, I got my first pair of glasses. Grade seven, I got braces and became even more legendary by wearing the external headgear. When I was in grade eight, I came under the watchful eye of a young man named, young man named Jeffrey Katz. Jeff was bigger than I was, and Jeff found great delight in school in certain settings, like threatening me, or making fun of me, or stealing from me, or embarrassing me, or assaulting me, and thoroughly intimidating me. He powered an entire change of attitude about school for me. Where once I was filled with optimism and, uh, and a fun outlook, that now changed to fear and anxiety. I developed phantom medical problems and genuinely felt sick for many, many of those school days. It made me feel alone and it made me feel scared. It changed my positive outlook. I look on life in general where I began to believe you're not going to make it. You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. And people don't like you. 
Do you remember the times that you had any of those feelings bubble up inside? The anxiety, the worry, the concern, the potential shame, nervousness, all of those things build up into this. Fear. Fear. <laughs> fear of my physical surroundings. This would not be the, my last experience with fear. This would not be the last moment that I had an experience that would lead to anxiety. Fear can become a crippling emotion. Fear can become your kryptonite. Fear is the kryptonite that keeps us from being the heroes we were called to be. And I can understand that you might very well be thinking, I was never called to be a hero. Formally, I didn't think that either. But we all grow up having a hero. We all had people that we could look at, and we could, at the end of the day, we would say, that's my hero. I, I want to be like her when I grow up. Him, that, that's who I want to be when I'm older. There is something inside each of us that bubbles up every once in a while, and it cries out, I don't want to be average in everything. I want to excel. I want to be recognized. I want to be valued. I want someone to anticipate me. I want to be congratulated. I want to be the difference maker. I want to be somebody. I want to do something more. And I think our world needs more people who want to do something more. Fear is something in each of us in some measure. It's not the same for any of us. We're all different. And phobias are quite the thing right now. It seems that we continue to work hard to create new fears, or at least to ensure that our fears are properly labeled. Or perhaps more accurately, we desire to la label other people's fears for them. Claustrophobia, the fear of small enclosed spaces. Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Agoraphobia, the fear of open and crowded places. Glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. Hippopotamonstrosequiptolophobia, the fear of long words. <laughs> and then we could go on to try and make a new one up for the fear of long words when public speaking. Uh, if you go on the internet or you spend any time on social media, you're going to find something called clickbait. Does anybody know what clickbait is? Clickbait is a short-form way of describing headlines that pop up in your news feed, and these headlines are designed to prey upon your fears. The, the, the fear of missing out, the, the, the fear of not knowing, the fear of someone, the fear of something. Um, headlines normally say stuff like this, all she did was drag her plate through the water. You won't believe what happened next. And so you click on it. I want to know what happened next. And then you discover... Once you click on it, you're never ever going to find out what happened next. But you did get an ad for that brand new avocado scalp cream. <laughs> that is clickbait. Headlines that prey on your fear to convince you to click the link and generate revenue for a bunch of liars. For many of us though, fear is not just like that. It's much more personal. Perhaps it was a school that you didn't get into. And now, all of a sudden, the plans that you have have been changed for you. New uncertainties as you face 
that what you wanted to do, you can now no longer do. For others, it's a relationship that you were in. You were so certain they were the one. But when he left, when she left, the questions arrived in bulk. Anxiety. Fear. How does one enter a relationship again? Maybe the office around you, you you start to hear the whispers of a reorganization. And you start to ask the question, where is that going to leave me? And I think all of us have received one of those phone calls that arrives after midnight. The one that immediately sets your stomach to heaving. Uh Uh-oh, this can't be good. For a number of us, somebody has hurt us. An undiagnosable fear lies in the wake. Fear is a really big idea. There is no way that I can say right now anything that's going to become a silver bullet for you. But my hope is that if you've ever struggled with fear, that this will not be the finishing line, but this might just be the starting block for you in processing and in dealing. Because this is a really big deal, and it hits everybody in different ways. Fear is common And all of us experience fears, but it doesn't have to cripple us. Fear might be associated to a past experience, but I believe that it is often rooted in something less obvious. And we're going to look at another story today, and maybe this story will even be familiar to you, or at least parts of the story. One of Jesus' close, close friends, a guy, a fella guy named Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew's version of good news Um, where he recorded what happened as he was uh, traveling around and hanging out with Jesus. And we're going to be able to see some of the things that Jesus uh, said and some of the things that Jesus did that Matthew wrote down as they traveled. Eyewitness accounts. So just before we jump in there, I need to, I feel like I need to, um, to give you two warnings. If you don't consider yourself to be a God person, you're not a person of faith, I'll just give you a heads up that the story that I'm going to tell might frustrate you. The events of this story involve some physics that might bring you to a place where you want to ask, how could that possibly happen? So in advance, let me just ask you to suspend that question so that you can hear the story. So don't focus on the how can that happen question and instead ask, what can we learn? Because we can learn anything from stories. The second thing that might frustrate you. For those of you who claim faith and trust in Jesus, this is going to be something of a reminder, hopefully a reminder for you. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might start to think that I have an agenda this morning. Yes, I do. (laughs) I do have an an agenda. I just don't want that to frustrate you. We are going somewhere on purpose. So Matthew recorded these events in a historical document that we call the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. And the events took place right after another incredibly uh, significant and wonderful, huge, monstrous miracle. Jesus had just fed 5,000 men plus women and children by multiplying five loaves and two fish. And everyone's amazed and they're all just talking about what just happened and I can't believe what's going on. And then Jesus tells his disciples, uh, his close buddies, go on ahead. I'm going to meet you. 
you start. And so he puts them in a boat, and he sends them off into the Sea of Galilee so that, they, that he can dismiss the crowd, and then he's going to spend some time alone. The Sea of Galilee is a, a really big lake, uh, and it can be really, really serene. And it's a little hard to see here, but if you see in the back, there is a line of big hills or plateaus. These plateaus create the perfect environment for sudden and violent storms. So this is where we now find our disciple friends, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, some more vivid translations of the Bible say that the wind was torturing the boat. And I just love that. That sounds fantastic. They're out about three to four miles from shore, and they've been at this for about nine hours. They should have been a lot farther than they were. And they're struggling out in the middle with the waves, with with the crashing rain, with the intense wind. But this is not a foreign thing to many of these guys. Many of these guys were fishermen before, so this is not weird for them. This is their background. This is not something that they've never done before. But here they found themselves stuck. Certain of where they were going, certain of who sent them. But stuck in the middle and now wondering, what's Next, this is where I believe that fear begins to set in. This is where I believe that their story intersects with our story. I believe that our fears are rooted in our inability to predict our future. We are fearful because of our inability to know for certain where we are going. And this is true for us, and this is true for the disciples who were in the boat. They are armed with this experience where Jesus had just done a phenomenal miracle. He had just fed in front of them, using their hands, 5,000 people. Their bellies are still full with miracle food. But now they feel that they are somehow in in a dark cloud of concern and question. And I say, this is me. All the time. Amazing story fresh in my mind. God is faithful. God provides. I am working together in partnership with the God of the universe. And then current, minor, temporary adversity looms over large in front of me. And I find that I question the whole thing again. Is there anyone else like me out there? Have you ever been in this kind of a place? Well, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. It's always darkest just before dawn. How in the world would he walk on the lake? How did he feed 5,000? He does miracles. At this point, he could have calmed the storm. He could have prevented the storm from coming at all. But for some reason, Jesus chose to illustrate a point by walking out to his disciples on the lake. And I don't know how, and I don't know why, but I do know that if Jesus chose to do that, then there is a reason. There is a a lesson in that for me to learn. There's, there's, There's a lesson for you to learn from what happened there. And so, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Before, they were in a familiar yet uncomfortable position. And now they are in an unfamiliar and kind of a scary place. 
They are in a tumultuous storm. And I got to tell you, I love the word tumultuous. They are in a tumultuous storm, and now they are faced with what seems like imminent threat. And while our fears are rooted in our inability to predict our future, when our future goes from cloudy to compromised, we find that our fears are accelerated by our inability to protect our future. We can't predict it, and that makes us feel lousy. Then we can't protect it. We can't protect our future. We can't guard it, and that makes us feel vulnerable. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Jesus could have said anything at this moment. But, but what he chose to say, I think that he says to me, Take courage. Take heart. Hope is right there. It is there in front of you. It has not left you. Grab it. Grab the hope. Choose it. And hold on to that hope. He did not say to them in a strict commanding voice, be brave. Man up. Get over it. Toughen up, buttercup. It's just a storm, you big babies. Instead of that, he offered them something else. Take courage. It is I. I am here and you know me. We have traveled together. We have shared history. And our shared history is remarkable. Do you remember some of our shared history? You know, this is not the first time that we have been in a boat together, tossed on stormy seas. Check it out. Matthew recorded just six chapters earlier a very similar event when they are in a boat, in a storm, on the sea. That event became memorable when Jesus calmed the raging storm with a command. It is I. You know me. You don't have to be afraid. And then there's this moment in the story, and maybe you've seen this moment. It happens in movies and TV shows all the time. It's the birth of the unlikely hero. That, that, that person starts to rise up, and they begin to appear in a new light. They are getting ready. They didn't know it, but they're getting ready to do something heroic. One of the 12 rises up. And you can imagine him, maybe, maybe he's putting his hands on the gunnel, maybe putting his dominant foot on there too, and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. If it's you. If it's really who you say you are, Peter the hero replies, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, when it is not the storm, you just think, okay, that's just the next thing that happened, okay? But remember, they are in the midst of a storm. The storm did not stop. The water is not calm. The sea is raging. But Peter decided to take Jesus at his word in the midst of all the things going wrong. He is taking courage. He is taking hope. He is trusting Jesus in the midst of the storm. He is choosing to allow Jesus to quiet his fear. Come, he said. And now Peter, standing on the edge of the boat, Peter comes face to face with a decision. It's a decision that I have to make continually. It's a decision that you have to make also. And the decision is simply this. Would he allow the fear of stepping out 
lead to missing out? Would he allow the fear of stepping out of the boat lead him to missing out on the next step that Jesus had for him? There is something, there's something in Peter's statement when he says, tell me to come and I will come. There's something in that statement. Peter knows, Jesus, if you call me, I will come to you. And if I do, it's going to be extraordinary. If you call me, I'm going to experience something that no one else will ever experience. And I don't know what's next. I don't know how this turns out. I don't know what will happen. But if you call me, I will come. I will trust you for what's to come, whether I know it or not. So with the water still raging, Peter steps out of the boat. And now he's walking on water. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. Can you imagine the emotion that he's feeling right now? He just, I just became the MVP of the disciples. I'm winning. Everything is happening, and it's all right around me right now. No one has any idea what the other disciples are doing. All eyes are on Peter and on Jesus. And they have to be marveling at what is happening right in front of them. The waves are still moving around, and, and Peter is walking on them towards Jesus. And we, we don't know the distance or how this works out exactly, but the text says in verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He saw the wind. He, he felt the rain. He noticed the waves that the wind was whipping up. He noticed that all of his present circumstances had not changed just because he decided that he would follow Jesus. He now focuses on those circumstances, and he took his eyes off the one that he trusted, and he began, and became afraid. And it says, and beginning to sink. Have you ever felt that way? Like today? You might feel like you're sinking right in this moment. Out in the middle of the sea, Storm raging all around you. Everything's going wrong and you begin to sink. And everything you thought was going to happen has changed. Your ability to protect and to predict your future is shown to be a fraud. Now here you are. Now here is where we find Peter. And I think Peter at this point has three options. Option number one, this is the one men especially like to do. Hold your breath. I'm on my own. Not a great option. Peter's second option was to turn back to his friends. Hey, can you guys throw me a lifeline? But we learn something again from our hero, Peter. He does the exact same thing that he did when he stepped out of the boat. It says, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He took his eyes back off the wind. He did what we all do. We all put our eyes on what we are trusting. If we believe that we will fail or sink, that is where our eyes go. They go to the place that we are believing. We are showing that we are trusting in it by fixing our eyes on that object. And so we say, no, eyes up. Eyes back on Jesus. Lord, save me. You're my hope. I know it's you. I trust you. When my eyes are on you, my fears always seem smaller. Lord, save me. Because I know that you can. And then Jesus, filled with compassion and love, he says, 
Save yourself, Peter. This was all your idea. No, that's not what he said. Like, you people, you should be, no, that's not what happened. Look at what, look at what pops up next. The very first word. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. The wind is still shrieking. The waves are still rolling and tossing. The storm is just as live and powerful as it always was. But Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught Peter, where the fear meets the faith and looks it straight in the eye. And I believe that Jesus said these next words, filled with empathy, filled with compassion, with the longing for Peter's faith to be solidified. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And that's my story Again. Graham, why did you doubt? Graham, have you not seen me faithful in the past? Graham, have I not called you to this place? Graham, why do you bring so much fear and pain into your life because you allow your eyes to slip off me? You doubted me, and you believed in something else more than you believed in me. You did not have to be in that place of worry. You did not have to be in that place of anxiety. Just put your eyes back on me. Trust me again. You know me. I will be faithful. Always. Do you feel like that too sometimes? Or is it just me? Is it just confession today? Man, I hear no accusations in Jesus' words. I don't hear anything that was designed to bring about shame or to bring about guilt. I only hear the heart of the one who, in the midst of working in and through Peter, reminds him that there is more available. That there is more waiting. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't abandon trust. Take heart. Take courage. Take hope. You were experiencing something extraordinary. And you were there because of me. I began it and I will complete it. Why is it so easy for you to believe that I suddenly changed my mind about the whole thing? You did it. You walked with me on the water. You do have what it takes. And with that, Peter and Jesus, they get back into the boat. And there, Peter is surrounded by people who would never, ever have that experience. They would never, ever have that moment. They would never have the story that Peter now had. And the waves and the wind subsided. And I don't know what motivated Peter. I don't know if he had some sort of hero gene baked right in. But I suspect that he wanted more than just being an average fisherman. If you can imagine this happening today, it would absolutely be in your newsfeed. Someone would turn this into clickbait. Man leaves boat for a ghost and walks on water. What happened next will blow your mind. And if the reporters were to come to ask Peter, tell us about that day, Peter. I think Peter might say, well, my friends, the sea was angry that day, and we were afraid. We were all afraid. Yeah, but, but, but Peter, you got out of the boat. Why? I got out of the boat because Jesus said, take courage. Jesus didn't say, man up. 
Jesus didn't say, try harder. Jesus didn't say, be brave. Jesus didn't say, just do it. Jesus said, I offer you courage. And Jesus says, it is I. And I've got to tell you, I have been traveling with Jesus all over, and I have seen things that I cannot explain. I just saw him feed 5,000 people. And when he said, it is I, I said, yes, I do know you. I know what you have done. I know the power that you have. I know what you can do. I know that what you offer is extraordinary. So I trusted him. And I'd say to you, take courage. Trust Jesus. Then lastly, I think that I would tell everybody, if you're on the edge of the dream, if you're on the edge of a decision, if you're sitting on the edge of that important phone call, if you're on the edge of repairing a relationship, then don't let your fear of stepping out lead to missing out. What's on the other side of my fear? What's on the other side of your fear? I think it's something extraordinary that is offered to us. And then as reporters do, I think that they would come back with, wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second here. You began to sink. You took your eyes off and you began to sink. Tell us about that. And I think Peter would say, I did. And you know what? I'll do it again at some point when I'm tempted to fear. But here's what I know. Who you trust is greater than what you fear. When I had the ability to take my eyes off the wind and the waves and the chaos and the things that I feared, and I could pull them to the object of my trust, I could do that. I could take courage. I could trust him. And when you go through and you're, and you're carrying emotion around with you everywhere you go, it can become exhausting. You will grow tired of masking your fear. Tired of running from your fears. But not knowing what to do with it. Take courage from Jesus by trusting in Jesus. Now, because it is clear, that does not make it easy. That will be a lifetime of skills development. The simpleness of this idea belies the complexity of the discipline. Growing in your trust for Jesus is a key discipline. Renewing your mind. Trusting in Jesus is the skill development of our spiritual battle technique. We do not battle as the world battles. We do not battle with the weapons of this world. Increasing your trust in Jesus will increase the size of your shield of faith. And as we gain mastery in this area, you will have a new and a growing experience. The quieting of your fears. Trust in Jesus will allow you to operate in life with your fears quieted. Three simple steps. Take courage. Trust Jesus. Not letting your fear of stepping out lead to missing out. And you will find that you will experience greater joy in living in the extraordinary world. That you will have no regret for not stepping out of that boat. Take a step. Be curious. Be bold. 
This is to be one of our private disciplines. And our private disciplines are strengthened by regular doses of practical teaching. And they are applied through your acts of personal ministry. And as you are practicing these new arts to be alert to your surroundings, watching for providential relationships, they will either aid you or give you opportunity for you to aid others. Remember, in this world, interruption is to be viewed as opportunity. Keep an eye out for pivotal circumstances. Cheer with those who cheer and mourn with those who mourn. Drink deep of the whole of life. These are our faith catalysts. And when properly applied in the earnest pursuit of Jesus, your faith will grow as you keep your eyes fixed upward and you help those around you to do the same. You will find an increasing ability and desire to overcome, to bear up under, and to come through whatever it is that comes your way. For you never travel alone. The Spirit of God himself dwells within you. Listen to him well. Discern his voice. And dearly beloved, please don't give up. Kind Father, I thank you again for the grace that you have entered into life with us. God, I thank you for the hope that you have in front of us. That we never need to worry that you're done with us. That your plan suddenly shifted and now you will abandon us. In my fear, God, raise yourself up again to show me your love. Your choice of me. Your delight in me. Your work in me. You have already promised that you won't give up on me, that you will be with me, that you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. God, I pray that you will help to eradicate the lies that are in my head that argue with you. Who am I to argue with what God has declared? Forever in your view. Forever in your hands. That is where you have placed me and I thank you for it. For the same gift for these that are before me today, your friends, my friends. Bless them with this assurance as well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. You are loved perfectly. Now go. And live free from fear. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. As you go today, I want to remind you that you don't just walk out. You're being sent. You have a mission. First, you need to know that it's better when you're here. And it's better when we're together. And that connection is something that God is in the middle of. And that's what makes it beautiful. So as you go, remind yourself that, you, that we are Christ-centered. We are 
spirit-empowered and that we are mission-focused. And the mission that we are on is for everyone, everywhere, all the time.